I love that song. That's an old, old song. We've sung it so many times. And my favorite expression is that fifth verse. When we've been there 10,000 years. We don't know anything that's 10,000 years old. I mean, I've, been, I've got some old things. I've got some old arrowheads. But they're not 10,000 years old. I've got a little jar in my office that goes back to the B.C. period. But it's not 10,000 years old. You've never met somebody and said, hey, how old are you? Well, I'm about 10,000 years old. You've never met that person. And imagine when we have been there 10,000 years, it will seem just like yesterday. What a wonderful, wonderful experience. So good to have each of you with us today. We've got family and friends and folks from all over the place. We're glad you could be with us today. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We've got to make one stop in Matthew before we get there, but we're going to be focusing upon Ephesians chapter 4 today, and we are delighted you could be with us today. The writer Robert Fulgram wrote in 1989 a little piece that is called All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And here are some things that he wrote. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Take a nap every day. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stay together. And that cute little thing is it's just what it is. It's cute. And we find it on Facebook and lots of little places. You see little books written about those things. But it's not everything you need to know in life. And there's other things. And one of the remarkable things that God has given us is a mind that's always learning. We go to grade school. We go to high school. We go to college. A lot of you in your professions have continuing education. There's even the school of hard knocks where we've made some mistakes and we've had to learn things. All it takes is a new phone, a new remote, a new car, and you're sitting right down in a new process of learning. How does this thing work? How does it learn? How do we learn these things? We were in Texas last week seeing a new grandbaby. Three of Jordan's kids had got a brand new video game, Mario World. We got them that for Christmas. They sat down, in two seconds, they were playing that thing. And they came over to me and said, PJ, you want to play? I said, I have no idea what you're doing. But that's learning, and that's that concept. And so this morning what we want to talk about is what I've learned from Jesus. And this is going to take us to the book of Ephesians where a, a phrase of that is used. And what we need to understand is not what I learned in church. And what we understand is not the rules I'm supposed to go by. Don't do this, do this. It's what have I learned from Jesus. But we begin, first of all, in Matthew chapter 19, a great story where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And in verse 16, it says, And someone came to him and said, Good teacher, or teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And we need to see immediately he asked the greatest person, Jesus. There is no one greater than Jesus. He didn't ask his mother. He didn't Google it. He didn't say, what does my rabbi say? But he asked the greatest person who ever walked on this earth, Jesus. He asked the greatest question. He didn't say, how can I get rich? How do I raise sheep? 
What, what must I do to obtain eternal life? No one knows eternal life better than Jesus. Jesus is eternal life. He would say, before Abraham was, I am. I came to give you life, Jesus said. And then he understood that he had a personal responsibility. What shall I do? He didn't say, Jesus, give me eternal life. He understood that there was something he had to do. And so that takes us to the book of Ephesians. Because not everyone asks the right questions. Not everyone asks the right person the right questions. And not everyone is interested really in what the answers are. But when we turn our Bibles now to the book of Ephesians in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about some things here that we're going to just call what I've learned from Jesus. Let's begin now verse 17 and read down through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, begin verse 17. He says, This I say, therefore, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Notice verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is corrupt, being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, being created in the likeness or in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, verse 25, laying aside falsehood, speak truth with each one of you, with his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down in your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may perform, that, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But such is the word that is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, that which is give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you have been sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. It begins in verse 20 by saying simply, you did not learn Christ this way. And the very next verse, verse 21, just reading that again, if indeed you've heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. The subject here is Jesus. You learn Christ. And then what he's telling them is, Christ is what you have heard. And then Christ is the teacher. And so when we talk about what have I learned from Jesus, it's not what my teacher, not, not what my church taught me, not what my preacher taught me, not what I thought for myself, but when I come to Jesus, what do I learn? And I think Ephesians 4 shows us three simple things. Number one, I learned what I thought worked really didn't. And what the apostle here is going to be talking about here, he's going to be talking about attitudes and choices and lifestyles and behaviors and they thought it worked, but it didn't work. And so he says in verse 17, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. And he tells us why. He gives us about six reasons. Number one, they have pointless thinking, the futility of their mind. 
What they're thinking about just doesn't work. They are not thinking clearly. They're darkened, he says in verse 17, in their understanding. He says their minds are made up, their hearts are hardened in verse 18. They lack a sense of right and wrong. They have become calloused, he says in verse 19. He says they do whatever they feel like doing. They give themselves over to all kinds of sensuality and pleasure. And the reason why this doesn't work, he says in verse 18, it disconnects you from God. You are excluded from God. And so what he tells us is materialism doesn't work. Worldliness doesn't work. Lust doesn't work. Selfishness doesn't work. Now you might say, well, I know a whole bunch of people, they seem as happy as they can be. They are until they see Jesus. That's his point. Someday you're going to see Jesus. And then what? And when we go to uh, Ephesians chapter 2, a couple of pages before this, he again reminds them of this. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You're in this rowboat and you have no direction, no compass, no help, and you're on your own. So what it tells us, number one, what I've learned from Jesus is, my way just doesn't work. I've tried that. That's how we became sinners. That's how we became wrong with God. I do what everyone else is doing. Guess what? That gets me wrong with God because the whole world has sinned. And so what he's pointing out here is this idea that what you thought worked doesn't work. And so what he tells them then is you need to begin by changing your insides. He says in verse 22 to lay aside the old side, the old self. Put it aside. Toss it, we would say. In verse 25, to lay aside falsehood. Quit being the way you are. Your old way didn't work. And so one thing we're noticing right away here is it's not a matter of on Sundays you need to go to church. That takes care of everything. No way saying is you got to change your thinking. You got to rewire the house. What's, what you have done simply doesn't work. And then as we go to the fifth chapter, he reminds us we got to stop going the wrong direction. He says in this regard, in verse 7 of chapter 5, no longer partake with them. Don't just go along with what everyone else is doing because look where they're going. They're not getting closer to God. They're getting farther away from God. Verse 11, he says plainly, do not participate with them. Again, that very idea that we need to come to reality that what we have done simply doesn't work. You will never change until you come to that realization. When a person stands in front of the mirror on, uh, in the morning, they look at themselves, they'll never go on a diet until they think, you know what, look at that. Ooh. Then they might start doing something. Somebody will not do something until they look at their monthly financial statements and they say, we make a lot of money, but we have no money. At that point, they start to do something. And what Paul's saying is when you look at your life, realizing that you're running fast to the throne of God, is it working? And the first thing he says is it doesn't. Second point he brings out, you and I can become 
the show model of God's character. What an awesome privilege that is. He says in verse 24 of this chapter, he says, And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. So you lay aside something, you've taken that cup and you poured it out, and you put down an empty cup, that's not what God wants. You pour out the old stuff, and now you fill it up with what God wants. And that's in the likeness of God. The fifth chapter says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. The book of Romans says it this way. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Becoming show models of God. You know what a show model is. You go into the dealership. You got those cars. Boy, they look nice, don't they? You could comb your hair because they're so shiny, just looking at them. And you notice there's no McDonald cups in the back seat of those cars. There's no handprints on the windows. It's also like a model house. You, sometimes they, they have a model house as they begin a new addition, and you walk in this model house and you walk around and say, what? There, there's no laundry everywhere. There's no kids' toys all over the floor. There's no, there's no dishes in the sink. It's pristine. And the whole thing is, is to draw your attention. You want that car. You want that house. It appeals to you. And what the Bible's trying to show us is when we walk with Christ, we have that appeal. People look at you, and people notice you. And these are some of the things that we see. So in the fifth chapter, he says this, beginning in verse 3. Again, this concept. But immorality, or impurity, or greed, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks, for this you know with certainty that no immoral person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. He would say in verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to God. That's that idea. Now go back to chapter 4 with me and notice, notice this little flow in chapter 4. It begins here in verse 25 and goes down to about verse 30. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth with one another, with his neighbor, for we're all members of one another. Now notice the do nots. Verse 26, be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steal no longer, or do not do that. Verse 29, let no unwholesome word, or do not let unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. What's he talking about? What's he talking about is I've learned from Jesus. I've learned from the best. No one is more kinder than Jesus. No one's more compassionate than Jesus. No one's more forgiving than Jesus. No one cares more than Jesus. And when I learn not from the church, but from Jesus, I learn from the best. I become my best when I learn from the best. And that's the idea he's bringing out. And so, once again, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. As Jesus is pure... We are to be pure. As Jesus is the light of the world, 
We are to be the light of the world. And from this, we see how valuable that is. You and I, in many ways, become the showroom of Jesus Christ. We have a song. I should have told you to sing this one, Dale, but I forgot, the, I forgot about this song. We are the world's Bible. In fact, you are the only Bible some people will ever read. As a lot of people have Bibles, they're stuck up in the shelf or on the box or somewhere, they have a Bible somewhere. But they haven't opened it in years and years and years. But they see you. And based on you, they make a judgment about Jesus. How you treat them, they're going to make a decision. They see you and they make a decision about this congregation. Oh, that's the way those people are. Or those are wonderful people because the way they are. And they make a decision about faith based upon you. Though we're not perfect, a work in progress, we become the best when we follow the best. Turn with me to the book of Titus, if we will, Titus chapter 2. As Titus talks about grace, again, we find this wonderful admonition for us here, Titus chapter 2. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, comma, not period, instructing us. That's what we're talking about. What have I learned from Jesus? What have I learned from grace? Instructing us, verse 12, to deny ungodliness, worldly desires, to live sensibly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We have learned that. And then the third thing Ephesians 4 teaches us is that we become a magnifier of God's grace. As God has given us grace, we give grace to others. And again, he says this in Ephesians 4, the last verse, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Look at those words on the screen that's in yellow. How... Has God forgiven you? How embarrassing it would be, how hard it would be if we started with every person coming up here to this pulpit and say, here are the sins in my life. We'd be ashamed to do that. But God knows them, and God has forgiven you. And not just has God forgiven you, as we look at those words in yellow, how many times has God forgiven you? Over and over. He never says, enough. I'm tired of forgiving you. You're on your own. He never, ever says that. And so because of that, you and I are a forgiver because we have been forgiven. People have said things against us. We don't hold those things. We let them go. People have hurt us. People have disappointed us. People have let us down. We can harbor those things and remember those things and always carry those in our hearts. Or as God has forgiven us, we forgive others. Now, if you will, let's go back to Matthew chapter 19, where we started this morning. Matthew chapter 19. And let's finish up that story. That young man came to Jesus with a question. He came to the greatest person he could ever come to, and that's Jesus. He asked the greatest question he could ever ask. What must I do to obtain eternal life? And he understood there was something he had to do. That's verse 16. Now let's read verse 17. And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? 
There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. What Jesus is saying there is, you called me good teacher. Do you understand only one person is good, and that's God? Do you understand you're face-to-face with God? Do you understand you're talking to God? Right then, right there, he should drop to his knees. Right then, right there, he should have said, whatever you say, Lord, I will do. And so Jesus goes through a little laundry list of the Ten Commandments. And, and he's, he tells them, if you wish to enter into eternal life, keep the commandments. He said, which ones? You know, the Bible, as it gives us words, doesn't show us videos. And as I read this, I kind of think this guy had an attitude. It kind of reads like this. When Jesus said, keep the commandments, which one? Like, you little smart aleck, you know? I'm God. How dare you even ask me? Which ones? All of them. But he says, he goes on here in verse 18, as Jesus says to him, you shall not commit murder, shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said, if you wish to be complete, sell your possessions and give them to the poor and you shall find treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved for he was one who owned much money. And I want you to notice in verse 22, he went away. I wonder how many of us have come to Jesus and we didn't get the answer we wanted. So we went away. I come to Jesus, and I look at my Bible, and it doesn't say what I want it to say. It talks about commitment. I don't want to be committed. I just want to, I want you to just take me to heaven. I come to the Bible, and Jesus wants me to be baptized. I don't want to be baptized. I just want you to take me to heaven. And so I read this, and I don't see what I want, so I walk away. And when the young man walked away, he was no different than when he came. He talked to the greatest person, he asked the greatest question, and he learned nothing. He learned nothing. And I got to ask myself, have I come to Jesus, spent a decade, many decades, and I simply have not learned anything? Why is it sometimes among the people of God, we can be so judgmental? Have we not learned anything? Why is it among the people of God we're so quick to point fingers? Look at that guy, how wrong he is. Have we not learned anything? How is it among the people of God sometimes we're so slow to forgive? Have we not learned anything? How is it among the people of God we can close our hearts to people around us that need our help? Have we not learned anything? What have I learned from Jesus? Let me share with you a little story. There was in the farming community a men's breakfast. And the local preacher came to it for the first time. He'd never been to it before. And before the men's breakfast began, they called on this old crusty old farmer wearing bib overalls to open it up with a prayer. And so he says, Dear Lord, I don't like buttermilk. And immediately the preacher kind of opened his eye. What kind of prayer is this? Lord, you know I don't like flour. By then, several eyes were opened up. And Lord, you know I hate lard. 
But somehow, Lord, when you mix that all together and you bake it, it makes the greatest biscuits, and I just love those, Lord. And then he says, Lord, there's things in my life I don't like. There's things in my life I don't understand. But, Lord, help me be patient as you mix this all together because something better than biscuits is going to come out. That's somebody who understood the Lord. Somebody who trusted God. This morning, if we can be of any help to you, if you want to know more about Jesus, we'd be happy to sit down, just open our Bibles, and show you the Jesus of the Bible. And I get to understanding what Jesus is like. And may all of us realize, just sitting in the pew doesn't mean I've done what God wants me to do. God wants me to be like Jesus. And that's a work, and that's a progress, and that's hard to do. But I need to do that. Amazing to sit at the feet of Jesus and be none the difference. And that's what this lesson's all about. We learn from the best, we become the best. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.